a special welcome this morning to Miriam Pierce. It's her first Sunday ever. Riley just woke her up. That's pretty cool, though. The first Sunday you've ever been at church, Mother's Day. What a gift of the Lord for you. Well, let's go ahead and turn in our Bibles, please, to Ephesians chapter 6. First and foremost, happy Mother's Day to everybody that is celebrating today. If you've got older children, you might have got nice gifts. If you've got younger children, I know the way this works. Um, you actually look after them, and then when they get a little bit bigger, you get 123 gifts, and it's great. They're all identical things. I'm all wrapped up with sellotape, and it takes you all day to get into them. So happy Mother's Day. And today, in honor of you, as mothers, I put together this message, which I've called Treasuring Your Kids for the Glory of God. If you are a mom, then this message is for you, and so I want to encourage you to lean in on it. But if you are not a mom, I also want to encourage you to lean in on this message because as the Apostle Paul writes this, as God speaks to us from his word, it's not like he says, okay, let's chat about children and parents here, and if you're not a child or a parent, you can just turn off and do something else. He's still addressing the entire church at this point, and there's a point to that. We're all part of this process. And so let's read together Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Children... Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. That it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Let's pray. Well, Lord, I do thank you for your word. I thank you for its clarity. I thank you for its sufficiency. I thank you for its necessity. And Lord, would you speak to us and encourage us through your word today? Lord, I pray for us all, whether we mothers or our fathers or men and women or children. Lord, would you speak to us from your word today? Would you open our eyes to what it really means to treasure our kids for the glory of God? Help me, Lord. Speak through your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, one of the things that you may or may not know about me is I love musicals. I've always liked musicals. They are fun. I know some of you are like, you're kidding me. I just thought you were so cool. It's like, I know. I am, but it's a little secret. I do really like musicals, and they're really good. Last night, Lydia was in Mary Poppins. It was awesome. Really enjoyed it. Partly I enjoyed it because she's been practicing since November, and it was nice to get it out of the way. But another part of me enjoyed it because I actually really liked the show. It was so cool. But my favorite show ever is Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. I love it. It's awesome. I think it was the first musical I ever saw. It was the original one with Gene Hackman in. Um, and it's just such a good version of the musical. For those of you that may not be fully aware of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, I had a, a particular affection for it because it involved chocolate. I mean, so when you're 10 years old, and then I never really grew out of that, um, you just love the storyline. The storyline is all built around a man called Willy Wonka. Willy Wonka owns a chocolate factory in London. And no one ever comes into the chocolate factory or goes out from the chocolate factory. But amazingly, it makes all these goods for everybody in the United Kingdom to, to eat. 
But Mr. Wonka is getting a bit older, and so he decides to offer golden tickets, five golden tickets, to lucky people that find them in chocolate wrappers for them to come in and visit the chocolate factory, the first time ever in history. Well, everybody wants these golden tickets to come and visit Willy Wonka and his chocolate factory. There's some really cool characters in there. There's Mike TV, loved him. Violet Beauregard, um, Augustus Gloop, Veruca Salt, I loved her. We used to call my sister Veruca in response to that. Um, Umpalumpas, loved them. It was always, you know, you'd always go to school and like part of bullying was to say, you're an umpalumpa. You know, I just loved these little creatures that would walk around the place. It was so cool. But my favorite character by a long way was indeed Charlie Bucket. Charlie Bucket was the poorest person in London at the time. He had no money to buy anything. His family lived in poverty. His four grandparents shared a bed in their one-bedroom house. They had nothing. But for his birthday, he got enough money to buy one chocolate bar. And everybody's thinking, this is it. And he opens the chocolate bar, and there is nothing in it. It breaks your heart. But then he finds some money down a drain. And he rushes back into the shop and he buys another two Wonka bars. And in one of the Wonka bars, there is a golden ticket. Now, it's a musical. So what happens during musicals? We start singing. So he starts celebrating with singing. He runs back to the house. He runs into the room where his grandparents all are. They've never been out of bed for like 180 years or something. And he starts singing. I've got a golden ticket. I've got a golden ticket. A golden chance to make a way. It's awesome. It's great, and he starts dancing around the bed, and Grandpa Joe gets out and starts dancing with him. This kid is just ecstatic that he has found a golden ticket, and he treasures this with all his might because he knows this is going to get me into the chocolate factory. This is going to change my life. I love this golden ticket, and he treasures this golden ticket till the very day that it starts to get him into the chocolate factory himself. Well... Charlie and the Chocolate Factory is not a true story. I know. It's hard to come to terms with. I find it particularly hard. I think everything is a true story. I went to see Benjamin Button once. (laughs) I was two hours, 20 minutes through the story, and I leant over to my wife and said, this is not a true story. (laughs) At which point she did what you are doing and said, did you honestly think you tried it? I thought it was based on a true story, but he cannot become three years old. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, likewise, is not a true story. But what is true is that there are things in the world that are golden tickets. My friends, if you're here today and you are a parent, you have a golden ticket. And that's your children. The children that God's given you. See, as biblically defined, your children are a blessing, a reward, a gift from God. They're not my words. They're God's words. Psalm 127, verses 3 to 5 says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. Children are a gift. A blessing, a reward, a gift from God himself, and a gift given to us to treasure them. But here's the challenge in our society today. There are hundreds and thousands of versions of what it looks like to treasure your children, right? A brief research of Google alone. Here's what I found. There are 4.4 million mums 
in the United States alone that are blogging on motherhood daily. 4.4 million. That is a lot of voices clogging up our airways, is it not? Lots of different versions of what it really looks like to treasure our kids. What they need to eat, what they need to wear, what they need to do at school, what they don't need to do at school. Should they get vaccinated? Should they not? Should they be homeschooled? Should they go to main school? Should they go to any school? Should they just do something else? You know, there, is, there are hundreds of different versions and pieces of advice. You need to hold your kid daily for the rest of your life. Otherwise, they will grow an anxiety disorder. You need to let them go for the glory of God. Otherwise, they will have anxiety disorder. Which one should I go with? I never had to parent in this world. I didn't have to do it the same way you are bombarded with this information now as mothers. Praise God, when I was younger, there was no internet. You just had like your mum and your grandmum. That's all you had going for you. Now there are 4.4 million voices in the United States alone that want to speak into your life and tell you what it means to really be a good mother and what it really means to treasure your kids. If you want to reject that, that's pretty cool. You just dump on Amazon and you go on Amazon and you type in motherhood. And it comes up with over 10,000 books for you on motherhood. 10,000. If you widen the net to parenting, there are over 70,000 books. If you read one a day, you will die before finishing all the books. There is a lot of noise out there when it comes to parenting. There is a lot of noise out there and where it, where it comes to mothering. There is so much information out there that is smogging up the mind of the average mother. And I thank God then for the clear oxygen air that is right here in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. Because these verses don't come from some blogging mother in the United States. They come from God himself. God who created you. God who created your children. God who knows you better than you know yourself. God who knows all things because he's the one that designed it as the great creator to work in a certain way. I thank God that here in these verses, against the smogginess of the world, he breathes oxygen into our lives and helps us see what does it really look like to truly treasure our kids. Get rid of the noise. Just hear his voice. This is what he's demanded you to do. This is what he's commanded you to do. And so today I want to look at what does it really look like to truly treasure our kids from Ephesians 6. Verses 1 to 4. What it really looks like to treasure them in such a way that as it says in verse 3, that it may go well with them. That's what we want for our children, right? We want it to go well for them. <clears throat> well, Ephesians chapter 6 verse 4 explains how we're to treasure our kids so that it does go well for them. For the glory of the Lord. And so if you are a mum, this is in honor of you. But I do want everybody else to lean in as well. See, I'm specifically going to be addressing parents. Why is that? Well, because I think that's the best way I can honor you as mums. For your husband to understand, you're up too, pal. This is your responsibility too. In fact, actually pay attention to verse 4. He addresses fathers. He's not saying there that, okay, it's just dads, women don't, under, don't understand, don't need to do it. It's not what he's saying. What he's addressing is, listen, there is a primacy to your role. If God comes back tomorrow, you're going to have the microphone in your hand, not your wife. You're the head of the home. But you both stand side by side, leading your kids and serving your kids and applying this for the glory of God. And if you're not a parent at all, I want to encourage you as a parent, we really need you. We need your help. 
We need your prayer. We need your counsel. We need your encouragement. It's one of the things I love about Africa, the whole premise being it takes a village to raise a child. I think it takes a church to raise a child. We need one another's counsel and warmth and help. I need you in my life. So let's all lean in. What does it really look like to truly treasure our kids? Well, two things. It's not complicated. It's not a difficult message to grasp. This text is not a difficult one to grasp. There are two instructions that God gives us here in this passage. One that is negative, don't do this. And one that is positive, do do this. Why? Because this is what it looks like to treasure your children for the glory of God. As against the smogginess of the world. This is the oxygen of God's word. The most explicit verse in the entire New Testament on parenting. Forget the rest. Do do this. Two things. Number one. What is it then that we're not to do for the glory of God? Well, number one, parents, do not provoke your children to anger. Verse 4, parents, do not provoke your children to anger. You know, one of the things I so appreciate this, about this verse right off the bat is you get to see very quickly that as parents, we are under authority. Don't brush over that too quickly. See, it's like in this moment, God sits us down and said, Hey, parents, just want to remind you, you are under authority. My authority. And so, parents, this is how I am instructing you. What gives God the right to do that? Well, here's what. Your kids are God's kids. They've been entrusted to you, but they're not actually your kids. You may think that you do not, but you are not a foster parent. Yes, you are. Everybody's a foster parent. Those kids are God's kids. They are somebody else's kids. And then God looks you in the eye and says, I am going to entrust these children to you for my glory. I want you to do something for them. And so parents, I'm addressing you. I think this is helpful because I think it is so tempting, particularly in our North Shore society, to think of our kids as my kids. Right? They're my kids. They're the center of my life, the center of the world, and they're mine. And God says, No, they're not. I'm the center of your world. And they're my kids. I'm instructing you what you will do with my kids. I need that. I think we all need that, don't we? Particularly when you're actually a good, conscientious parent. They start to become your world so, so quickly. And that's that's not a bad thing. But we must understand these kids are lodgers in our lives. One day they will leave. And we're all about training them to leave. They can't be our world. Christ and Him crucified needs to be our world. And then what we're meant to do with them is apparently not to provoke them to anger. Now, upon first review of that, you think, yeah, that does not sound too hard. No problemo. I will not do anything ever again for my child that possibly upsets them. Possibly makes them angry in any way. I'll just let them do whatever they want. That seems to be the command of Scripture. Well, just press pause a minute. That is not what He's commanding you to do. This text is all in the confines of training our children in the way that they should go. And his premise is, as you train them in the way that they should go, work hard to not do anything that will provoke them to anger. He's talking about the practice. As we in our lives seek to train our kids in the way that they should go, don't provoke them to anger. Don't do things that provoke them to anger. 
And that's when this text, I think, gets a bit more tricky. Because in all reality, there are a number of ways that we as parents can provoke our children to anger. And so this instruction becomes a bit more difficult. Because even when we're trying to train them in the way they should go, there are things that can provoke them to anger that we're meant to avoid. I was thinking about it this week at some length, and there was three things that I think, in our desire to serve our kids, we can get it wrong and provoke them to anger in. One would be parental inconsistency. You know, there is nothing that will provoke a child to anger, possibly more, particularly when they're real young, than parental inconsistency. And it's so easy to do, particularly when they are young, because when they are young, it is hard. They're just there all the time. And then you go on holiday and you're like, it's not a holiday. They're still there. You know, it's, just, it's, it's difficult. I remember when we first had Josh and we took him to Greece. It was awesome. We were like, we are finally going on a holiday, my love. It's been such a long season. And we got on the plane. The plane wasn't too bad. We got there. I, I sat down on the beach. Emma sat down on the beach. We bought Josh a dinghy. It was wonderful. We're like, I will pick him up. I will put him in the dinghy. He will look out at the ocean. I will lie here. You will lie here. Okay, let's begin lying. Within 10 seconds. Ah! You're like, you are kidding. What is this kid's problem? We're on holiday. Parenting small children can be really hard, but parental inconsistency causes anger in this regard. One day we say to our kid, listen, don't do that. And the next day we say, oh, just go ahead, I'm so tired. And the next day we say, don't do that, that's wrong. Mummy's asking you not to do that. And the next day we're like, oh, it's just too difficult, they're just going to have to do it. And then dad comes home and he says, don't do that. And mom says, no, that's fine. And then dad says, no, I want him to do that. She says, no, I don't want him to. It just gets crazy. You know what happens? The kid gets angry. Because they're not sure whether they're coming or going. Instead of creating structure and help for them, they feel like the goalposts are always moving. God is telling us here, don't do that. Be consistent because you must not provoke them to anger. As they get older, I do think the goalposts change a little bit more anyway. Parental inconsistency isn't the same challenge that it can be when they're small. But there's other things. Other things like parental hypocrisy. Nothing will provoke your kids to anger more than parental hypocrisy. And here's what hypocrisy is. Hypocrisy when it comes to parenting happens when a parent points to a child in the way they should go and expects them to get there, but never gets there themselves. It's basically, by every essence, not practicing what we're preaching. So we're telling them to do something, but we never do it. And so it's the dad who tells his son off for shouting, by shouting at him! Can you just stop shouting! And the kid looks back at you and goes, what's up with that? And then you're like, don't be disrespectful! You know, it's just like, this is, this is a problem. It's inconsistency. It's the mom that corrects their daughter for being obsessed with their looks. You are just so obsessed with their looks. But when the daughter tries to get in the bathroom, she can't get in because mom's in there assessing her looks all the time. It's inconsistency. Or it's the parent that faithfully helps their child see, listen, You've wronged your brother there. And you need to go back to them and say sorry and ask for forgiveness. That's right before the Lord. 
And yet when they wrong their child, they never come back and say sorry. They never come back and ask for forgiveness. Why? Because I'm the parent and you should respect me. But what the kid sees in that is consistent hypocrisy. You're asking me to be something you're not. You're asking me to go to a place that you never get to. You know, I think not apologizing to our kids is one of the biggest mistakes parents make, in all honesty. Because the kids know you're not perfect. You tell them you're not perfect. But sometimes then we don't ask for forgiveness when we blow it. You know, I must say, for, for me, I seem to ask my kids forgiveness more than the most. It's probably because of my behavior. But I want my kids to understand, listen, I am just like you and I'm sorry. Without being abstract, I had to do that about a week ago. Said something to one of my children that was inappropriate and they reacted. Um, I reacted not well. And I said, love, I'm, I'm sorry. I sinned against you there. Would you forgive me? And then I actually got to work and I still felt bad about it. So I texted them all in the family WhatsApp and said, you know what, I just want to point back to that. That, that was wrong. Would you forgive your dad for that? Because I want my kids to understand I'm like you. And that's why we both need a savior. It's why we both need Jesus. No one's pretending to be perfect here. We're pretending and understanding and following a perfect king. We need his help. If you're never doing that to your kids, one or two options, either you are never sinning against them or you're just never owning up to it. Parental hypocrisy, I think, greatly damages relationships. You know what the fruit is? Anger. Anger in that child. Irritation. You're asking me to do something you never model. The very thing that God's instructing us here not to do. And then the other thing that I was thinking about this week that I think can provoke our children to anger is not just parental inconsistency or parental hypocrisy, but it's overbearing fault-finding. Overbearing fault-finding. You know, this is an interesting one to me because in all honesty, this practice usually begins with a good, conscientious, and godly parent seeking to do what God's called them to do. They're seeking to train their children in the way they should go. They're seeking to help that child's heart be modified for the glory of the Lord. They're seeking to be faithful to that child and bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. But at some point, their practice of parenting twists. And as a result, all that child ever hears is areas they need to change in and change in and change in, and they never hear any encouragement. They just hear fault-finding again and again and again, totally unaware of how their parent feels about them, totally unaware of where God's grace might be working in their life, totally devoid of any encouragement. It's so easy to do. It's so easy to do for good, conscientious, godly parents. What would your kid be more aware of? Areas that they need to change in? Or evidences of God's grace in their life? You know, there's this very informative scene in Pride and Prejudice, at one point in the story, where Elizabeth's father has discovered in a letter that he's received from Mr. Collins that Mr. Darcy likes his daughter, Elizabeth. And he is shocked. He cannot believe that she actually, you know, that he wants the daughter. And he assumes straight away with Elizabeth, he assumes straight away that Elizabeth will share his disdain for Mr. Darcy. 
So he starts to engage Elizabeth about it. You know, we've got this letter for you. I can't believe it. And she's clearly quite chuffed about the letter. And he can't believe it. And he says this to her. He says, Elizabeth, Mr. Darcy never looks upon a woman except to see a blemish. He's trying to protect his daughter because he's aware the guy that you like, I've seen the way he talks to people. And he's not there encouraging. He never looks upon a woman except to see a blemish. You know, I think it's so easy if we're not careful as parents to become like Mr. Darcy. And so what our kids are hearing from us consistently is blemishes. You've got to change in this. You've got to change in that. You blew it again. Mr. Darcy never looks upon a woman except to see a blemish. But as parents, I think we can do the same thing. We can do it at all ages. I mean, when they're really small, when they're born, you're just so excited about them. And then within about three months, when they won't stop crying, you feel yourself being irritated by the very appearance of their face. When they're up in the night. Again! Why can this child not just sleep? And then when they get older, you start really parenting. And you start to faithfully parent. You try to help them in the way they should go. But as you're doing that, it's so easy to become a human smoke sin alarm that goes off every time you see something. My friends, it's so important that our kids hear encouragement after encouragement after encouragement. Evidences of grace, evidences of grace, evidences of grace. Yes, this needs to change. But this is what I thank God for about you. If you find yourself more aware of areas that your children need to change in than areas where God is at work in their life, I want to encourage you, cry out to God for grace first and foremost. Cry out to God that he will help you with this. And then look back at your kids with grace-filled perspective. Think through two categories. Fruits of the Spirit, evidences of the Spirit. Fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Where do you see any of these things, even a lean towards these things, in your child that you can communicate to them, that was good. You did good there. And what about evidences of the Spirit? Where is God at work? When you did that, man, that blessed me. When you did that, man, that was... I remember when, when Josh was in a school play when he was like about six years old. It was terrible. But it was a school play, and... And, and it was in the season where Josh couldn't actually speak because of his cleft palate issues. And I'll never forget it. They wanted him to be a narrator. And you think, oh, my goodness. What is the school thinking? Um, but the play was interesting. The play, went, the play went fine. But the highlight of the play for me was that at one point, Josh comes down from the stage and he turns and grabs this little girl's hand and helps her down. I know. And I said to him, as he comes down, the play was, it was good. But the highlight for me, son, was when you helped that little girl down at the end. Because I want him to know, that's a good thing. That's to be commended. Well done. Now go tidy your room. You know, but at the end of the day, we want to make sure that we're bringing our kids up in a way that we're drawing attention to where God is at work in their lives. Listen. If we're truly going to treasure our kids in the way they should go, it has nothing to do with education. It doesn't have much to do with what they eat. It doesn't have to do with what sports they're in, whether they're in private school or second. It doesn't matter too much. What does matter is that we do not provoke them to anger. 
Not my words, the creator of the earth's words. That's what it looks like to treasure our kids. First and foremost, not provoking them to anger, which is why we have to avoid inconsistency, hypocrisy, and overbearing fault-finding. But then there's another side of the coin. What are we meant to replace that with? What do we do for the glory of God? Well, he says here, Parents, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So what we need to do, number two, we bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now one of the things I so appreciate about this text, it is so crystal clear. You would be a good parent, a great parent, as biblically defined, if all you did was this. God would applaud you. Don't listen to 4.4 million blogging mums. Listen to God. This is how it will go well for you. This is how it will go well for them. Don't do this. Do do this. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. You know that phrase, bring them up, I think can sometimes be really lost in the English. Because bring them up, you just think, yeah, it's called parenting, right? They just get older and you bring them up. Not so much. The phrase bring them up in the Greek is a highly relational and loving phrase. It's the same root word term that comes in verse 29 under the premise of nourishing and cherishing. Where it talks about a husband laying his life down for his wife and nourishing and cherishing her. It's the same phrase. It's the same root words right there. So it's not just bringing them up however you see fit. No, it's in a loving and highly relational relationship with them. It's not talking about abstract parenting here. That I feel nothing towards them, but I'm a faithful dad. No, if you feel nothing towards them, you are not a faithful dad. Because bringing them up is holding their hands through this. It's saying, kids, come with me. I love you. I'm one of you. Let's go together. It is a highly relational and highly loving relationship. If our kids aren't hearing regularly, I love you. We are not obeying this scripture. It is a highly relational and highly loving term. This relationship that we're meant to have with our kids should be characterized by love. It's a good thing. A biblical thing. The way the Father of Scripture is with us is the way we are to be with our kids. They're meant to feel the same things. That my dad, my mom, they love me. I know they do. And sometimes it can be difficult because they you know, discipline me and stuff. But I know they love me. It is a highly relational and highly loving relationship. And within that highly relational and loving relationship, God's commanding us to do two things. Number one, he's commanding us to discipline our kids. You know, that's where our culture stands up and goes, oh, no. Oh, no, no, no. In fact, actually, we can't even say no. We should just say, you could do this instead. Because we don't want to crush their little self-esteem. Or maybe we just say, well, that wasn't a wise choice. No, no, yeah, okay, that's lovely, that's really nice. No, listen, as a parent, we are under God's authority, which means we represent God. God doesn't just say to us, well, there's an alternative option. He just says, no. And if we're going to train our kids in the way they should go, they need to understand the word, no. 
And discipline, by very nature, is all about correction and admonition. It is altering the way of course. It is altering a path. Discipline, as biblically defined, always carries with it a sense of correction and admonition. It always carries with it an altering of the way or a course of correction. And as biblically defined, discipline is never pleasant. Ever. If your kid is not sure whether they're being disciplined or not, that is not biblical discipline. If they're hanging out with you thinking, and you're saying, oh, I'm disciplined, and they're going, it's not working out. Is that Dave's opinion? No, it's God's opinion. Hebrews 12, verse 11, for no discipline is pleasant at the time. Clearly, discipline is painful. It's hard. It's a correction, an altering of the way. And listen, children desperately need discipline. More even than that, your children desperately need your discipline. God's given them a wonderful gift to help them. You. He's given them you. And all discipline is so important because, listen, all parental discipline is a rescue mission. This is the way Ted Tripp says about it. He says, parental discipline is a rescue mission. It is the teaching and enforcement of standards. It is standing guard over your children and saying, I love you enough not only to instruct you, but to limit in the appropriate ways the expression of your sinful nature. That's what good parenting does. It disciplines a child. It's a rescue mission. First and foremost, to rescue our kids from themselves. I mean, you may or may not be aware, but listen, all children, as biblically defined, are born with a sinful nature. Now, some people push back on that and go, oh, not my kid. And you think, eh, just keep your eyes open. They are. It's amazing. I mean, you say to a kid, like, as soon as they start toddling around, you say, listen, son, do not touch the television. What is the one thing in the room they want to touch? The television. But here's what they do. They don't just go and touch the television. They go like this. What's that? Well, they understand. You've just told me not to do something, and I really like it. Why do they like it? Because there is a heart going on in there that's just like yours as a mum and dad. The very thing sometimes God says no to are the very things you're like, ooh, it's like a fly to a trap. You're just like, come on, this looks so good. That happens when they're real young. Don't think that's just cuteness and then go, oh, isn't it funny? Oh, you won't be saying that when they're teenagers. They're going to need your help like now. All discipline is a rescue mission. And it is our God-given role and responsibility then to discipline them so that they not reap the destruction that comes onto their lives if they in an unrestrained way continue to sow to the sinful nature. If no one says stop and helps them pull on the path, they'll just keep on going. Well, God's given them someone and some people in their lives to stop them from just going on going in desires that are sinful. It's called mom and dad. To say, son, daughter, I love you enough to stop you on that one. This is not right before the Lord. And I've told you not to do it, and now there's going to be a consequence. See, we are the gatekeepers of our children's lives. That doesn't mean we stop them going out and doing everything as they get older. No. What it means is, I love you enough to help you see what God's Word says. And God's Word says no on that. 
No wonder then, Proverbs 22 verse 15 says, Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it from him. It's an echo, Proverbs 13 verse 24. Whoever spares the rod hates his son. What are you going to do with that? Parents that say, oh, I just think discipline's cruel. Well, God says, if you spare it, then you hate the son. Do you hate them? No, I love them. Well, then bow the knee to the way God has called you to do it. Whoever spares the rod hates his son. But he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. You know, whatever you believe about what the rod is, that's not my point. But my point is, consequence and correction is clear in the Bible as how we're meant to be bringing our kids up for the glory of God. Now, just to be clear then, parental discipline is not a one-size-fits-all, okay? Just so we're clear... Three-year-olds and 13-year-olds are rather different. You know, kids can be really different. There's not a one-size-fits-all. It varies greatly upon the child themselves and their age. I mean, children's vary, right? And we have Josh, Amy, Lydia, Liam, and Savannah. They could not be more different between them. They're just super different. I mean, I remember when Josh was little, and, and he'd be three years old, and you'd say, Son, that has just really upset me as a dad, what you've done there. And his little chin would start quivering. <laughs> and that was about all you needed. I tried the same with Amy and Lydia. Not the same effect. <laughs> it needed more than that statement. Because they were like, yeah. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, this is going to be painful. I mean, Amy, I remember when she was really little, her bottom teeth grew in before a, like a big teeth. Her bottom teeth grew up before the top teeth. And so she'd just look at you and sort of growl with these two teeth. And you're like, <laughs> this kid needs help. She needs something more. Then I can offer her, man. This is, this is insane. But children vary. It isn't just a one-size-fits-all. That Well, this is what we did with the older one, so we just match it all up. No, I'd recommend you start thinking through each kid because they can be real different. And also, it will depend upon age. I mean, now and again, you get a really enthusiastic parent. They've never had a child before, and they're desperately going through shepherding a child's heart. And I'm like, congratulations. You will need that when they're about four. You know, right when they're little, all they need to understand is dad said no. And then they do it, and they get a consequence. Or dad said no, and they don't do it, and you say, that is good. This is good. We're just training them to respond to dad. Why? Because one day they will need to respond to God like that. And right now, I am functionally God to them. I'm training them in the way they should go, not primarily with me, but with God. But as they get older, you do start shepherding their heart. Because you start helping them see, listen, the very things that you're doing, I get it because I'm the same. Guess where they come from? Not the world, they come from our hearts. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. That's why you're saying that. What do you think's going on in your heart, son? What do you think's going on in your heart, my love? Parental discipline is not a one-size-fits-all. It varies in age, it varies in children, but parental discipline is without doubt necessary for all. To help save our kids from themselves and their own folly. And to help save our kids from the thinking, from thinking that life is all about them. That life is all about me. Some kids, their world is this big. That's it. That's all they got. It's just there. And parents actually stoke that all the time. You know, it, we've got to help our kids see, listen, you may think that you are the center of the world. You are not. God is the center of the world. 
We've all been created by him, and one day you will give an account for him. And I'm trying as a parent, help you, prepare you for that day. It's not primarily about me, it's about him. I remember when one of our kids, when they were little, and they said, Dad, why does everything always have to be about God? And I looked him back in the eye and said, because it is all about God. It's all about him. He made us. He created us. He sent his son on the greatest rescue mission ever told for us. And one day we'll stand and worship him. And when I'm there on that day worshiping him, I want nothing else more in my life than you to be with me. Which is why I'm here. Trying to help you. For the glory of God. I wonder then in Hebrews 12 verse 6, we read, For the Lord disciplines those he loves. Our children need us. They need you. Mums, they need you. If you love them, which I know you do, then discipline them just like the Lord disciplines us. But that's not all. He also wants us not only to discipline them, he wants to give them instruction in the Lord. We're not only to discipline, but we're also called to instruct. You know, my experience and in my life, this is probably the easiest one to abdicate on. This is the easiest one to delegate to someone else that we feel more appropriate or more able to do it. And so we kind of now and again mention God to our kids, but we are prayerfully hopeful that the Sunday school teachers will do it, that the youth pastors will do it when they get older, and then the pastors will do it on a Sunday morning. And we don't like to intrude on those things, but what we're actually doing is delegating and abdicating what God's given to us. It does not say here, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and then find somebody else to bring them up in the instruction of the Lord. No, same issue, same command. It's our job. We must do those things. It's what we see echoed all the way through in the Bible. So Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 to 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Here's the instruction. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk to them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Who is God given the primary responsibility to train our kids in the way they should go? The primary responsibility to instruct from God's word to? Definitely parents, without any doubt. All the way through the Bible, it's parents. In good conscience, I wouldn't do it, but in good conscience as a pastor, I could actually close down children's ministry and youth ministry and feel totally okay about that knowing that this is primarily the parent's call. I'm not going to do that, so you don't have to leave. But I could in good conscience do that. Because that is not the primary thing. This is the primary thing. Parents taking their kids home and talking to them about the Bible. We are called as parents to do that. Our homes should be places where the word of God is both taught and caught for the glory of God. Sometimes that's going to mean opening our Bibles in our homes. And different people have different practices on that. Sometimes my experience as they get older is not just doing that as a family, but it's encouraging our kids to have their own time with the Lord and then talking to them about it afterwards. 
That was our practice as a family. So kids, what are you reading? What do you understand? What don't you understand? This is great. Let's talk about this. But all scripture is not just taught. It's caught. And I would argue most of it is actually caught. Because if you say to your kids that they should just get chicken pox, but you've got a cold, and they spend day after day after day with you, guess what they get? A cold. You can tell them about chicken pox, but they just caught a cold. Because they're with you. The primary way our kids, I think, will understand God's word is by looking at you. Do you believe God is a great God? Well, we'll find out when the going gets tough and they see, does my parent trust in God or do they not? They'll start to see, does my parent actually think the doctrine of sin is true in the way they apologize to me or the way they confess? Does my child understand, does my parents understand what it is to have a loving relationship in marriage? Not just biblically defined, they'll just watch. They'll become like you. They'll pick up the same things as you do. Our children will not primarily just listen to our words. They will copy our values. It's the way it is. If you have a cold, they will get a cold. That does not mean, therefore, that they will automatically be saved. I wish it was that easy. But what it does mean is if you are passionate about God and they see this as real in your life, it will be attractive to them. But if as they encounter you, you're a Sunday morning Christian, the word never appears the rest of the time, you talk bad to your wife, you talk bad to your husband, you're always not trusting in God. In fact, most of the time, they're just you gossiping about people. Guess what they'll become? Just like you. They'll become just like you. No wonder then we are called by God to not provoke our children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. You know, I once got asked, does the church have a policy on uh, vaccinations? And I'm like, no. No, it doesn't. I think if you want to get your kids vaccinated, do it for the glory of God. If you don't want to get your kids vaccinated, do it for the glory of God. I'm not going to go beyond the Bible. Now and again, people will talk about food, the importance of food. So important, we give them nutritious food. Awesome, great. Do it for the glory of God. Or don't do it for the glory of God. Sometimes I find it amusing. Often when it's kids eating a lot of nutritious food, they seem to get sick. The kids eating out of tins and cans don't seem to get sick. Don't know why. Not making a party political broadcast there. <laughs> but I'm just saying, these aren't the things that we need to be thinking about or discussing about at length. Here's what we need to be discussing about at length. Hey, parents, how are you going in not provoking your kids to anger? And how are you going with bringing them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord? That's what God has commanded us to do. That's what we must do. In the smogginess of the world, that's the clean air that he gives us. You know, the responsibility that God has so clearly put onto our lives as parents is both inspiring and sobering at the same time. <laughs> it's inspiring as you realize, man, he has entrusted a child or children to my life to train them in the way they should go. He's entrusted a child into my life to point them to the Lord. They've been, he's given me such a high and holy calling on my life as a parent. But man alive, this is sobering. It's a life. It's not a budgie. It's a life. 
a child, a child with a soul. My friends, that's why I want to encourage you and conclude by helping you see that the book of Ephesians doesn't start in Ephesians chapter 6. It starts in Ephesians chapter 1. If you are sobered by this as a mum and you're tempted to be overwhelmed, here's my encouragement to you. You were chosen before the foundation of the world. Before the world even existed, he chose you in grace. He wanted you. At the right time then, he sent his son on the greatest rescue mission ever told. And through him, we read in Ephesians chapter 1, you were forgiven. You were justified. You were redeemed. You were adopted into the very family of God. Heaven is going to be your eternal home. And it's all his choice. And it's all his doing. And then he promises us in chapter 1 that he's going to give us the gift of the Holy Spirit, a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. You're going to make it. But more than that, prior to being there, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus himself will live in you. That's a profoundly powerful statement. God himself, the one who breathes out the stars, lives in you as a mum. My friends, that's why you can say, as a mom, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That's why you can sing, yet not I, but through Christ in me. And that's why you can, in Ephesians chapter 4, walk in a manner worthy of the calling that we've received. Because you're not on your own anymore. Jesus himself, through his spirit, lives in you in all power. The one that said to Lazarus, rise, lives in you. I think you can be a mum for the glory of God with that spirit in you. Amen? And so, parents, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Would that be our story? I would all glory go to Him. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you afresh for the gift of parenting. Lord, I thank you as a child that you gave me two parents who loved me and who did seek to bring me up in the training and discipline of the Lord. Lord, I thank you for that. And Lord, I do pray for all of us here. Lord, would we all play our part like a village in the process of bringing our kids up in the way that they should go? Lord, you've entrusted gifts to our lives that sometimes things we can do Sometimes they're people. And Lord, even now as we come to worship you, all these people are outside this room enjoying Sunday school, enjoying creche, enjoying toddlers. Lord, I pray that when we get reunited with them in a few minutes, I pray that you would give us fresh eyes to see them. Fresh eyes to see. They're a gift given by God to me, not to be mine, but entrusted to me to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Lord, would we understand afresh that in reality, they're all foster kids to us. They're your kids. And would we treasure them? And would we play our parts in preparing them for that day when they see your face? It's all about you, Lord. So would our parenting be all about you? In Jesus' name, amen.